Welcome to Skeptex, the weekly show where we take a dive into the world of technology and politics and research. My name is Nayana. And I'm Josh. And we are here with two guests today from the Fair Work Project here at the Oxford Internet Institute. We, we promised lots of guests this term. We're making good of that promise already. Uh, with Robbie Warren, uh, who's a research assistant on the project. Uh, and Oguz Alanyak, who is also a research associate, I think. I am a postdoctoral researcher. Postdoctoral researcher, yeah. yeah. Uh, here to talk about the really exciting work that they do. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, do you guys want to give us a little introduction about what you've been working on? We had a great chat just before we started recording about storytelling, um, which is something very close to my heart and one that I think I'm excited to hear from you about. Sure. Um, obviously, storytelling is a big part of what we do because we are uh, interested in in understanding the, the platform economy both from the workers' perspective and management perspective, and then uh, the Fair Work Project does uh, reports on a yearly basis based on the research that's done in different countries. And uh, so storytelling is a part of it. The workers' stories in, in these reports that you can find and read are a big part of the, of the research output. But we're also interested, in, and that's, I guess, what brings us to you and what brings you to us in this <laughs> podcast as well, in, in finding out ways of uh, telling these stories in different formats. Mm-hmm. So not just in, 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 in the form of a text, for example, where we know people may or may not read. If it's long enough, there's a good chance that people are not going to read. Not in the form of an email saying that, please take a look at this report that we have published, but in other visual uh, means if possible, or through sound bites. And I'm going to leave the floor to Robbie to talk a bit more on the sound bite part, and I will probably take it back from him later when it comes to the visual part because it's an ongoing kind of like discussion within our group as well to to uh, to utilize visual means of uh, of, of uh, telling worker stories. Thank you for that. Yeah, so a lot of the work we do is specifically action-orientated. So we're based in an academic institution, but mm. we're very explicit about the fact that our work is directly looking to influence the world and specifically trying to create fairer working environments for people who find work on digital platforms. This covers a number of different countries around the world uh, and a number of different types of labour platforms and a number of different types of labour. But what binds it together is that we actively want to improve working conditions for these workers. Mm -hmm. But as I said, we don't do that just through academic research we don't do that just through the tried and tested formulas of empirical study but we also try and transcend that um, through different creative methods through different ways of engaging with worker struggle through platforming the voices of workers themselves um, through a number of different means and the role that I have at Fair Work and principally how I do that is through the production of podcasts mm-hmm. like yourselves mm-hmm. um, and I, you know, it's interesting to chat to other people who are working within an academic con- context about the production of things which aim to transcend the, the monograph medium which mm-hmm. dominates so much of academic work so yeah, uh, the work that I do is predominantly engaging with worker communities interviewing workers, talking to them about their stories and trying to put that into a format which is accessible to a non-academic audience. I love that. Thank, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, you mentioned sound bites. Do you think podcasts and sound bites, do you think of them in the same way? Are there other uses of sound that you have apart from podcasts? Um, what 
kind of usages of sound do you have or what kind of other multimodal usages of storytelling do you think? So podcasts are a big part of it. I remember having started the, uh, the uh, having um, come to the Fairbrook project almost two years ago and I was in Berlin. Within my like second month, there was a demonstration happening pretty much next door to where I was living. And I went there to cut my camera, took some videos and sent send them to Robbie and said, look, let's do something with this. And Robbie listened to it, took, took a look at the video, and he was actually quite pleased with the sound quality, and he said, let's do something with some of these demonstration sounds at the back. Mm. So in, in like that wasn't my intention. I just wanted mm. to capture the whole picture so that maybe I could at some point write something about it or have a way of uh, promoting the worker struggle there, putting it on my Twitter, Instagram, whatever, just any, you know, small means of just, like, making a change. Mm. And then... Uh, and Robbie said, let's do a podcast about this. And some of that footage actually went in the podcast and some of the, some of the snippets from that podcast, in addition to the video that I took parts of which he also uh, edited, actually got into like, you know, our Instagram posts, Twitter posts for, for people to not just listen to people talking, but also see what's happening. And I was very, I was very fortunate that I was there at the right moment. And that kind of from that moment on, that for me turned into a way of collecting data as well. I'm I'm an anthropologist, so it's not something that that's sort of unfamiliar to me. Yeah. I've done this before as well, but this was the first time that I was actually I had the pleasure of working with someone who knows what they're doing, which is Robbie in this case, who's got the creative means of taking something in its raw form and sculpturing it into something aesthetically pleasing in a sense and. Robbie, do you want to talk a bit more about it? Do you remember that process? Yeah, the very I first gorilla's demonstration that... Um, I always feel strange when anyone says that I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we all feel that feeling. all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I would say I'm obsessed with sound, really. Like, mm. it's always been something that's, like, been a very prominent thing. Um, I'm very obsessed with, like, the texture of sound. Mm-hmm. So when I think about podcasting, I think about trying to create a sense of place and a sense of... Uh, the experience of being in a certain audioscape that's always been a like central theme which like runs through all of the work that I've done um, so yeah when O sent me some videos which gave a sense of place and I think trying to with the podcast specifically trying to think about encapturing that experience of working in the urban landscape and the way in which like digital technologies shape your experience of the urban uh, and how you capture that within sound well, let's take the opportunity to plug your podcast now, which is fantastic. I got the chance to listen to some of it earlier, and I completely, it, 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 you know, the way you put it together really does, I think, evoke the, the surround in which you're you're describing, which is a really, um, I think, quite a rare talent in podcasting. So I highly recommend checking out the Fair Work um, podcast. But I think it'd be good to back up a bit and talk a little bit for people who um, are less familiar with the issues that are raised by the platform economy, by, by platformed work. Um, I guess the really basic question is, why is this important? Why is it important that we focus on... The experiences of workers in these conditions, and what, what what is the nature of these conditions that should really um, give all of us reason to to take notice? I think that the rise of the gig economy and the rise of the platform economy has been a well studied phenomenon, but I still think that we need to take it seriously mm. when we see the context of the massive growth and centralisation of power that platforms bring about. And this occurs in all different ways, in all different strands of life. But within the context of labour, platforms are increasingly taking on more and more sectors of our economy. 
and the effect that they're having on working conditions is leading to a race to the bottom. We can see this most prominently with forms of um, remote work where it can be done from anywhere. Digital platforms are creating labour markets which exist at a planetary scale and this is placing workers into competition from around the world and this is leading to falling standards of labour protection in countries around the world. And we need to take that seriously. And research can't just be top-down. We mm. also need to listen to the voices of the workers who are at the forefront of these changes. And we need to make sure that we're listening to them when we're thinking about how we improve conditions, how we implement policy. These need to be the voices that we centrally listen to. Mm -hmm. Just to add to that, I mean, Robbie did summarize pretty much the precarity and the exploitation that we experience uh, when we talk to workers and that we try to write about and we try to uh, uh, bring to public attention. But there's also the, this illusion that platform work, um, which is considered the future of work, is 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 an equal opportunity and uh, a very flexible form of employment. That's you know, oh, it's so nice. Just get in and get out. Just work whenever you want. Get on your bike, make some deliveries, etc. Sure, there's some flexibility. At least you don't have to be in an office, you know, nine to five. There's a little bit of that. Although there are also instances where workers cannot escape the given schedules. Mm -hmm. uh, we we see that uh, happening more and more. But there is like just behind that packaging behind that advertisement and the general public seems to buy into that people like when we talk to them say what's wrong with them they're getting paid Is, isn't it good that they're it's corona times it was the pandemic at least they got a job sure you know <laughs> at least they got a job but at what costs like when you look at it when you look at the the way payment is structured how many of the workers end up making under minimum wage how the conditions how miserable the conditions can be uh, for a lot of these workers, how hard it is not just to be out on the streets riding your bike or making deliveries or in remote work as well, um, but also uh, how they have to risk their lives, how they have to uh, face uh, the, the vagaries of like loan working conditions, for example, the contracts that they get or the terms and conditions that they sign, how, how exploitative those can be, the appeals process if there's something wrong at work. Uh, how little chance that they have to interact with the management and raise their concerns. Mm -hmm. And the last principle, our fair representation, <clears throat> how little chances they are given to collectively uh, find uh, forms of representation. And if they even try in some cases, they get kicked out of their jobs. So these are the five principles that I just mentioned, payments, conditions, contracts, management, and representation that uh, form the foundation of our research. But uh, we would like to highlight that these principles uh, that we're looking at, we, we are basically, um, I mean, these are principles that we keep on discussing and that keep on changing, but the platform economy itself is also changing. But we're also aware that these five principles, if they are met, then we would at least get, the, we would at least reach the minimum standards of fairness in this economy. Mm -hmm. We're not saying these principles are once they're met, everything is great. They are there just for us to take as a threshold the minimum standards of fairness in platform economy. I think um, one thing you mentioned, Robbie, that was really interesting was this idea of voice. And something I look a lot in my PhD as well. And I noticed that whenever people talk about voices, they kind of mean, they use voices like a sort of metaphor for listening to people. 
But the cool thing about podcasts and sound recordings is that you can actually hear people's voices. Like, mm. you can actually know what they sound like. And voice isn't a metaphor anymore. It literally means, like, hearing someone's accent or, like, hearing someone speak about their experiences. So, and it kind of, you know, humanizes, well, the human. So, <laughs> but, it, like, we, we think maybe of gig economy workers being so dehumanized because perhaps most of us don't have much interaction with delivery workers mm. or we choose not to do this. Um, what has the experience been like of like talking to you know gig economy workers on the podcast like how do you f- get them to talk and what kind of yeah like has there been anything that surprised you about that about the things they've said about their jobs I so nice you pick up on that because I definitely that's something which I feel as well that yeah. sense of an mediated experience yeah of hearing the the, the their actual tone and their absolutely yeah you, suddenly you feel like um well i'm not putting someone's i'm not translating for someone no, anymore i'm yeah, hearing yeah, from yeah. them yeah although you are to a certain extent, yes of course you always kind of are yeah, with anything yeah. Yeah, yeah and a podcast is a certain format and you say speak like this for a certain amount of time yeah, yeah. and yeah but sorry please go on <laughs> no, no no and the ability to shake the questions as well no i completely right and I, often something which i often um try and focus on is not just the work it's like what do you care about what what do you do outside of work like try and give that sense of like who are you where are you coming from um and where like how do we situate your work within one part of a broader complexity of life i don't Mm. think anyone wants to be defined by just their work absolutely um so yeah thank you for picking up on that um uh yeah uh i the experience has been difficult and complicated in a number of different ways um, and interesting in a number of other ways one of the things which I have encountered a lot recently given the highly stigmatised nature of a lot of the work given the lack of employment protections that workers have um, people um, often feel unable to talk about their work and there's often I think an interesting intersection of those two different elements the vulnerability at work and intersections with other matrices of power so particularly that relates to something like gender Mm. so actually for me one of the big things which has been very difficult is getting a diversity of people to talk to me on the podcast Um, I reach out to people and the vast majority of people who get back to me are men Uh, a lot of them will be in the global north Um, so I think there's certain things which that shapes that so for example recently I've been working on a series a few episodes about uh, online sex work yeah um, which is what my PhD looks at um, and I've been finding that the people who respond to me are male sex workers which is not the majority of what the population of of online sex workers actually relates to so I think it's interesting to think about the politics of it just as you are able to define the research encounter when you're talking to them it's also thinking about which voices are you're able to platform due to the fact of who feels comfortable, who feels able to talk about their experiences, who feels able to talk about that in English, mm. uh, in the public domain. I think these are interesting things which we have to recognise when we're producing things like this. Yeah. Is that a broader concern for the work that Fairwork does more generally? Um, I know that obviously in the team there's a big diversity of languages and backgrounds and maybe between all of you some of that can be mitigated, but... Is it difficult to get people to talk to you like who don't fit into these kind of majority categories? I mean, we make it explicit that the samples that we use in our interviews are not representative. Yeah, it's it's impossible to be able to 
gets like you know people from what we're trying to get at is the critical voices in there that are going to tell us something about mm-hmm. the platforms uh, so we want to reach out to people that have a, an issue and that that want to bring that issue up for us and uh, as the composition of our research team you are right we come from all over all over the place many of us are educated in the global north that's uh, that's something that we recognize and that's something that we are aware of i don't know how we will tackle that that's i think a big concern for academic production of knowledge in general that's the the voice of the global north is always heard a lot more than global south and we need to decolonize that right and we are trying we had discussions about how we can decolonialize this entire project in a way that it makes more sense that it really reflects the 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 the, the true nature of what we're trying to achieve here mm-hmm. but it's an ongoing uh, it's a work, work in progress basically and in terms of the workers it really depends on the methodology that you use if you just say let's say if you put a call out and say we want to talk to workers please come and talk to us on let's say Twitter Instagram whatever mm-hmm. and then they reach out to you. you don't know who's going to reach out to mm-hmm. it could be anyone we also provide uh, a compensation for the interview so maybe people are just there for the money and that's it we cannot really tell that but if you go a step ahead and try to bring in let's say ethnographic means into your research and start to spend time with the workers that you're I mean I had the privilege to do that a lot when I was working in Germany because I was in Berlin so I was pretty much like uh, part of my responsibility is to attend uh, teams meetings Microsoft teams meetings as a group I would do that to a minimum and I would just be out on the streets like socializing with the workers because I want to know where they are. I want to know their discussions. I want to know where they eat, drink. I want to know where they have fun because a lot of that fun space is also a space where politics is discussed. Mm -hmm. So I want to be a part of that. If you just say, I want to do an interview with you, a lot of that you're going to be missing out on. And in those spaces as well, they would be very eclectic. You would find people from all over the world, different walks of life coming in, different groups, also community activists representing different forms of... um, Solidarity bringing that they're bringing into this group, and then uh, different discussions that formulate people that try to reach from Germany to, to to Greece to Turkey to other parts of the world try to build different forms of solidarity in workers' movement, but also other forms of movement uh, that are happening in different parts of the world. Just bringing it to the table, so that would give me a lot, a richer, much richer data, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, to 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 be able to then talk about who the workers that I'm talking about are. Because if we just limited the 10 interviews that we do per platform, then obviously our knowledge of the, of, of the worker experience is going to be limited. But that's also the reason why we try to reach out to workers through other means. Like interviews that we do, sure, they are a big component of that scientific production of data. Mm-hmm. But as, as Robbie has mentioned, the podcast, like this is in addition to the fair work, like it's a part of fair work research. But it's not something that goes directly into the report. That is an additional component. The visual campaigns that we engage in, also an additional component. And, of course, we have limited means. This is a qualitative form of research. This is social sciences. So the money that we get is always going to be much more limited than maybe other uh, research groups. But we, we try to be, do the most with it um, and, um, and, as Robbie has mentioned, produce impact using that, mm-hmm. that, that data. You mentioned you might want to talk a bit about visual uh, materials as well. So this is the chance to <laughs> yeah, take us from the audience. I, I guess, I mean, you know, podcasts are... Ex- I love what Robbie's producing podcasts. I'm an avid listener of them, especially in the episode that he produces, one of my best, because it's got that noir kind of feel to it. <laughs> you almost feel like you're in a car driving through the city with the worker telling mm. you a story. It's and like then a like, like Almost like a taxi driver kind of vibe, you know? Mm. Um, 
But I don't know if you got that. I got that feeling, Robbie. I, you, you started like thinking about that. They're all meaningless <laughs> by the time I finished. <laughs> oh, it, 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 it definitely was the one that captured my imagination the most, that episode. Thank you. So kudos for that. But yeah, we try to... Um, I mean, these are... Not, no, I don't think that anyone within our research team is a photographer. Mm-hmm. And I am actually happier that none of us are because we want to give, for example, the floor to workers to take photographs and send mm-hmm. it to us. So that they can actually, you know, in situ on the ground, they can bring us the reality. Mm. If I'm there just tra- traveling with them like a you know, documentary producer, it's going to always be framed in a different way. I would like to see the workers framing off of that experience. So that is one form of visual campaign, photography uh, campaign mm. that is ongoing for the last two years. It's still taking baby steps, uh, but, you know, it's always in our mind. We want to do more with it. We had a fantastic street art campaign in Bogota. Uh, where we had basically walls after walls in the city of graffiti that reflects working conditions for platform workers. And do take a look at it because these are things that, once again, none of us are street artists, Mm. but we collaborated. And this is very important for us that we don't want to do things on behalf of the worker. We want the worker to Mm -hmm. be able to show us what they see through their through their eyes mm. so we work with a with designers in different parts of the world it's just the Bogota part where designers came up with different forms of street art and I think it's still up uh, in, in Bogota it is yes yeah 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 yeah. so we've got those streams and then we've also got a stream which is um, taking influence from groups in the UK like the Autonomous Design Collective um, and the way in which they have produced anti-capitalist move, uh, design media um, for use within the urban landscape um, and disseminating them around. I think a lot of our work probably takes a lot of influence from the situationists and the idea that actively the narrative that platforms are able to put forward about the nature of work within the gig economy needs to be countered. And how do we do that? So we've developed a, a strategy which is basically um, we've worked with designers from around the different world to we formulated a number of key messages based on our five principles of fair work and then worked with designers to repackage those for the different contexts within which they work. So we've got um, a set of designs for South America, yeah. we've got a set of designs for Northern Europe, um, we've worked with designers in the African continent to produce material which is relevant for them and which visually makes sense aesthetically mm-hmm. um, and in India as well. Yes, correct. Um, and we're now in the process of distributing these out to worker organisations, to individuals around the world which they can use to to put up in the local context as a means to provide a counter uh, a counter narrative as it were about the nature of this form of work yeah I love the idea of both the graffiti and the visual materials kind of casting in contrast the massive billboards you see for whether it's Uber or delivery or whatever else kind of presenting literally side by side comparisons we had a campaign where uh, we did a survey in the UK and then we had this this truck this van that was running with a billboard and we parked it right in front of the Uber headquarters in, in, <laughs> in London, and it said something along the lines of, um, I think it was about a, 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 an issue highlighted about payments in mm-hmm. Uber. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we took a picture of it, and then th- that was like our moment to, like, yes, you know, like in your face, kind of <laughs> like, <laughs> <"Hey."> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you know, obviously, we realized that uh, we are battling against 
industry giants here yeah. Yeah. and they have a lot of means to suppress uh, and to mod and to and to uh, influence um, the general public mm -hmm. and the voice um, so we, we try our best to take a dent at it and then, yeah. you know yeah. to try to not bring down the establishment per se we're not here to just trash talk about the platforms right we're trying to bring some changes to this economy because we're aware that they provide employment opportunities mm -hmm. we're aware that they're going to be there in, in the near future uh, that's you know it's it's not something that we're not trying to shoot ourselves in the foot here we're trying to make make things better for the workers that's yeah. the priority yeah. and whatever means we can find to make it happen we try to take mm. it definitely and I think also you know the audience who's going to be seeing these is not just like people which is so nice because so much of academic work is targeted towards an academic privileged audience and obviously this is kind of work and activism that's targeted well beyond that I think also thing beyond like the gay economy for a second Hopefully people realize now that like <laughs> the society that we live in and as I, you know, speaking from the context of the UK is just so fundamentally broken in so many ways with mm -hmm. so many, you know, how many different groups and unions are on strike or going on strike at the moment. And they're to, trying to pass a law that's trying, yeah. that's going to ban it all. Like, yeah. th this is absurd. Like, you know, I come from Turkey and this is a reality that we face, but you know, still like. I'm in the freaking UK. What the hell is happening? Yeah. And I, I had the exact same experience when I was in Germany. I was, I told myself. What's happening with this country? Like, I don't know. Nothing makes sense. Like, yeah. when it comes to workers' rights and union activism, but it's a... We can yeah. talk about it in a different <laughs> podcast. Because. Well, and even academia, you know, where yeah. is this, this big strike planned. And I think it feels oh, yeah. like maybe that makes people more amenable to thinking about different futures. Because I guess a lot of what you're saying is... I mean, you've, you mentioned this about building a future and building more free futures, more... How else would, would, would you describe it? How else would you describe the future that you guys are trying to build? Well, we're definitely trying to disrupt a dystopian future, that's mm. for sure. I don't know what the future that... I mean, a fairer future, I guess. I don't know. Do, do we have an adjective to describe the future that we're envisioning? Did we ever have that discussion? Oh, it'd be a good one. That'd be I a good one. Be Make a podcast about that. <laughs> I would, I'd be intrigued to hear your opinion as well mm. around thinking about your podcast within an academic setting mm. how do you think about that is there any challenges you find related to that and what what do you feel like the aim of the podcast is yeah well i remember when we got going i mean the format has stayed pretty similar through the whole last few years I mean, apart from sadly we used to have music and now we no longer have music we used to play, yeah play tracks in the tomb which was quite fun um but i think one thing we we really enjoy doing and i think we do relatively well is trying to capture stories from around the world that aren't normally covered by mm. at least mainstream tech yeah. press um, and I think the other um, element which we've we've really enjoyed and we're trying to take forward is having guests on on like yourselves. But I think inevitably the geography of the place around you does still mm. kind of constrain to some extent who you can talk to. The pandemic then changed all that because we could do yeah. everything online. Which we weren't even seeing each other. No, exactly. Other people. Easier. But I think that's the thing we'd really like to kind of like trying to ensure that the people we the voices we have on the show match up to our ambitions of the kind of coverage of the issues that we get that we try to get on the podcast. Yeah, and I think um, you know we do talk about like I say global news stories a really big focus for us has kind of always been India partly because of like personal ties to sure. it and like research ties to it mm. um, and you know it's always been about stories um, like I guess that end up being quite dystopian or stories about like the way that tech works in these other places um, I think it is like like Josh said difficult sometimes to forget to ignore the fact that we're in a place like Oxford. And I, I think actually we shouldn't ignore the, the fact that we're like very privileged to be doing this and we're in a university setting and putting this out. Um, you know, I think sometimes when people see Oxford 
podcast, they probably assume mm. it's like about like how to get into Oxford or like <laughs> how to succeed in academia at Oxford. We certainly don't know the answer to, well, maybe either of those questions. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that it's really great to like have you guys on the on the podcast talk about trying to to disrupt that kind of idea of what academia is or what research or what activism is as well yeah yeah i think a lot of us come from an activist yeah background um and i think sometimes maybe we feel a little bit funny to have found ourselves at <laughs> yeah the Oxford. well that's uh, good it's better to find yourself like actually this is where I, you know i think there's yeah. something kind of weird about the other the other extreme of that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but and i think yeah a lot of us come from from a background where how we got into this was through forms of activism mm. and engaging with workers and thinking from that lens is a natural standpoint a lot of times. So and we do bring that activism here to Oxford as well. I think every one of us is a union member Everyone's here yeah. at UCU and we're gonna we have been at the picket lines last mm. month and we're gonna be in the picket lines again starting next month. So, you know, I hate the idea of always seeing the problem elsewhere and thinking of yourself as a problem solver from center to periphery. No, there are a freaking number of problems at the center as well that needs to, needs to be battled. Mm. You know, there are a lot of foundations that are broken that needs to be, uh, that needs to be critically approached in the very institutions where we are at, you know. Um, there are statues still around the university that, you know, haven't been taken down with just a plaque in front of it saying, you know, that's the reason why it's there. You know, like, just to give you just one example, let alone the whole white establishment, white Western establishment and all the colonialist money that, you know, I don't know how much of this should go into this podcast. I want to keep <laughs> my job and I love it. But at the same time, we are very aware and we are very critical of that as well. It's just that the research, and we do have a UK research too, right? I just gave you the example of the Uber campaign that we had. And we try to, you know, use this privilege that we have to both be critical of it, uh, so be self-reflexive about it, about the very institutions that we're part of, but also use it as a privilege to force other powerful actors out there. You know, let's not forget that Oxford is a huge name when it comes to when Oxford publishes a report, when Fairbrook publishes a report, platforms care. I get emails the, the morning of the report published because some newspapers that happened in Germany, some newspapers are making news stories about it. Hmm. What is this? Why did you give us this score? What's wrong? I'm like, duh, I've been doing this research for a year. I tried to reach out to you so many times. You never cared about me. Now that you see a bad score, you deserve it. And your workers tell me that you deserve it. So, uh, but you know, as I said, like just to, I know this is going to take us just a little off the topic, but we have other campaigns that are oriented towards the general public, towards businesses, charities, and towards politicians at different levels of politics, mm. at both, you know, the, the, the super level, which is the macro level, that could be the EU level, let's say, uh, or at the parliamentarian level. We try to engage with discussions in those as well because the policy needs to change because we are aware that there should be further regulations in this economy if, if you want to grant, because just because we publish a report about platforms doesn't mean the platforms are going to say, okay, now we have to change. They need to be pressured into that. Mm. And we try every means of pressuring. And we talk so much about workers because we that they're dear to our hearts and they are the central piece of this research project. But there are also other parts of it that we engage with and other colleagues of mine do a better job uh, handling that uh, that are oriented towards bigger businesses, uh, universities, uh, trying to bring them into pledge, but also politicians to, to force them into changing politics. Mm. Well, I certainly like the idea of using the perceived legitimacy of 
science mm. at Oxford and turning that on its head and applying whatever that brings with it to, to the companies and platforms yeah, which need, yeah. need work yeah. companies, you say. Because then on the note of talking about voices, I suppose we all have kind of a big platform, a big voice that people listen to because of, I guess, the place that we are and the university and the institution we're at. So using it for this kind of purpose is an excellent use of that platform. I think we, well, we covered a huge amount of ground in that yeah. conversation. really enjoyed it. Is there anything uh, we missed or... Failing that, what, what's next for, for the two of you personally and, and also for the, for the project? Well, I am currently, Maybe I mean... What could be next is we go to the pub after this? <laughs> That's great, well, I like that. There's always an option. Short-term uh, thinking. No, I mean, I would want to say pub, but I have a date to attend, so I'm oh. sorry, I'll have to... Give me oh. two hours or so, and then we can wow. go drink after. So we know what's next for you literally in the next few hours, which is amazing. <laughs> Expand the time scale. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have a life too, right? I mean, as much as yeah, yeah. Exactly. this, you know, I, I, we do work a lot sometimes. That's true. There are moments where we forget that an outside life exists, mm. but it does still exist despite the cold and despite us being stuck in Oxford for the winter. Still, life does, life does uh, continue on. Yeah. Yeah, I wish I had uh, anything exciting to say as I'm going on a date. <laughs> I don't. But no, uh, yeah, I'm currently finishing off the series of the podcast. Yeah. Um, uh, and then we'll probably largely be on strike for the next two months. After yeah, that. looking like it. Does uh, sound like it, doesn't it? But yeah, we've also just started Same. a project which is looking at online sex work platforms. Mm. So we'll be working on that over the next years, doing the first investigations into working conditions on remote sex work platforms around the world. Really interesting. I've actually wanted to see Fairwork do something like that for quite a long time. So that sounds really, really great. Um, and yeah, please, we will make sure to plug Fairwork podcast when we tweet about this. But thank you so much, both of, both yeah, of you, for joining you. us today. Thanks for having us. It's been yeah. such a good chat. And hopefully this won't be the last Fairwork Skeptex collaboration. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Thanks so much for having us. Bye.